Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson and with me as always is Lucas Stock. Yes, and this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. We thank you for joining us as we explore, discuss, and grow as followers of Christ. So Lucas, how's it going, man? What's going on? Uh, well, not much <laughs> as is sort of the new norm. Uh, it's going pretty pretty okay, getting a little antsy with all this working from home, staying at home, not going outside. Well, not well, I go outside, but not going like out to places. Um, today's uh, a Sunday, and the sermon today was on um, the road to Emmaus, which oh, I thought yeah, was that's pretty a good awesome. One. Made me think of... That's very fitting. Yeah, it made me think of uh, a podcast that... I listen to sometimes. Um, oh, the Doxology podcast? Yeah. Yeah, you should check okay, it out. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard of that one. Um, yeah, but I mean, other than that, it's been a pretty chill weekend. Tomorrow is Patriots Day, so I get the day off, which I didn't know Yeet, until like America. last week, which was pretty <laughs> cool. Uh, I assume you probably don't have We are open 365, bro. Yeah. Are, are you working tomorrow or? Uh, yes, 3 okay. to 11. Bummer. Do you, that's... My life right now, but <laughs> maybe not for much longer. I there's something in the works, and I might be starting a new job here pretty soon, which would That's... be amazing because I'm just so sick of these three to eleven <laughs> shifts, man. They are a grind. I feel like my life has just become. I mean, especially with all the COVID stuff, right. it's pretty crazy. But like to be basically working nights because like I, I get yeah. up at seven o'clock most days, and so I I do a whole day like from right. seven to three of like you know getting stuff done. And then all of a sudden it's like three o'clock and I have to work an eight hour shift. <laughs> Man. Uh, but yeah, I used to, you know, I used to work shifts like that at, at Chipotle and, uh, right. I, I didn't start till like four. Um, and technically like we're, we were only scheduled till like 10 30 or 11, but we rarely got out of there before midnight with closing and stuff. Ugh. And we, I won't, I won't name the location, but, and we were like not well run. Like <laughs> we, we kind of figured out ways to do things quickly as opposed to maybe as thoroughly as the handbook says. Um, so, but even then we weren't getting out even close to when we were supposed to, which uh, was always rough when it's like mm. 1145 and you're like scrubbing a tortilla press and you're like, I kind of <laughs> want to just go home at this point. <laughs> right. Oh man. Classic. Well, today, like you said, is Sunday. And uh, I think a lot of people are getting a little stir crazy, not just because they're stuck inside, but I mean, I know especially for um, for us as believers, it's really hard to not gather. I mean, it's it's nice mm-hmm. to be able to watch a live stream or to watch a recorded video and and stuff like that, but it's still not the same thing as being with the body. And yeah. uh, you know, this morning Hannah and I watched um, uh, a recorded sermon from our pastor that he uploads. Um, the night before, so it's ready in the morning, and it was actually on a really interesting passage from First Peter, chapter three, eighteen through twenty-two. <laughs> so that was pretty interesting. We'll, just, uh, we're, we'll, we're we'll leave our... that for a future episode. <laughs> yes, and yeah, exactly. But we uh, we're making our way through First Peter, so mm-hmm. it's not like he was just like randomly picking this passage right. today to talk about. But although um, it would be a fun passage to randomly pick. It would be, and, would. and it's one that is very, I think, often misunderstood. And I even, like, as he was saying, uh, a lot of what he was saying, I was like, man, do I believe that? Like, how, what do yeah. I think about this passage? Because yeah. um, I've sort of come to my conclusions on my, on my own. 
Um, but I've heard other pastors give their versions that I'm like, that's not it, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know that's not it. I don't know what it is, but that's not. Um, but today, at least, like the way that he presented it and in the context of the letter at large, I think it was very good and very reassuring. Because like, I mean, First Peter is all about suffering, living in the world um, amidst persecution, whether imminent or to come. Mm-hmm. And the the constant reassurance that Peter is giving this body is just so applicable always, you know, as we've, you know, we talked about a, a lament in an episode, and this is kind of a transition into what we're talking about today. Um, you know, when we talk about what it looks like to, to worship, uh, what it looks like to offer praise. And so, you know, I guess I sort of alluded to what we're talking about today. We're, we're going to be talking about worship, um, but specifically music. And I think sometimes those two ideas can sometimes get conflated, like as though our 15 to 20 minute period at the beginning of you know, a Sunday morning service, it, that's the time for worship. And then after that, we have announcements. And then after that, we collect the offering. And then after that, we have a sermon and then we go home as though those can be broken up into their own distinct categories. Um, and so like in the midst of this world, especially in the midst of COVID-19 with all that that entails, uh, what does it look like to offer worship to God? Um, and what does it look like to not be a gathered body together and offer worship to God. You know, we're not gathered together. Um, you know, our church, I think on a, we have two services. Um, and I think each service has roughly maybe 150 or 200 people in attendance. Um, so like, what does it look like to not gather as that body to sing songs to God? Um, I think it's a very interesting, um, conversation. And so as we sort of dive into this, Lucas, do you have maybe a a definition or, um, maybe some brief thoughts on worship as it pertains to music or worship just in general, like a general definition for worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that what you alluded to with this idea that when we say worship, we mean the musical, you know, the group singing that we do as a church on Sunday morning is our worship um, is definitely something that I re- sort of I don't know if I was taught it growing up so much as just kind of that's what you know I kind of picked up on or or just sort of formulated myself because we you know we call them worship songs and we say you know please stand for our time of worship together or whatever um and I think that that's when we're talking about worship as a general idea that's very very wrong um not only because that's only one portion of a given Sunday worship service as a congregation, but also because worship is, you know, my, my youth pastor growing up would always tell us worship is life. Um, and what he meant by that is what I think scripture teaches us that every aspect of our life is ultimately um, connected to our offering of praise and worship and thanksgiving to God. I think of Romans 12 being um, a living sacrifice, offering Mm. ourselves. He's not saying offer your Sunday mornings. He's not saying offer your voices. He's not saying offer your service. Um, We're offering all those things and more in in our very, we're offering our very selves um, and, you know, a sacrifice that that's a, that's an act of worship. um, Right. You know, like in the sacrificial system of the old Testament that forms sort of the backdrop of what he's saying. And then also just like, in general, um, sacrificing something is, is, 
giving something up for someone else. And when we are talking about music, um, honest, you know, as a, during a church service, um, I don't know that there's really one definition so much as just, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the mediums, one of the, one of the media (laughs) that we use, um, as a body of believers to offer that worship to, um, in an intentional, conscious, specific, you know, way in in a certain time. Um, it's one of the ways that we engage in worship. And, um, I think of, you know, the book of Psalms, there's 150 worship songs, basically, uh, that were collected, um, and put together and sort of, you know, for Israel and for Christians throughout history have been um, really important musical forms of worship. Um, I think in Ephesians 5.19, when Paul exhorts us to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, um, I think it's pretty obvious that music has a role to play in, in, in community gathered worship. Um, and I think that just like other forms of human, you know, expression. Um, so we think of like in a sermon, we're using our speech to proclaim the gospel, to teach doctrine, to exhort the congregation um, for the purpose of glorifying God, of bringing people to God, um, or, or writing a theology book or a devotional book. We're using our writing to express our worship, um, eating and drinking, these very normal human acts, they, they're worshipful in the act of communion. Um, you know, our thoughts when we're, when we're praying together silently, maybe, or whatever else, uh, maybe if, depending on your tradition, like some churches, you know, they have like gestures like kneeling and standing and sitting at different times during the service and things like that. Um, music is another sort of, like I said, medium where worship is communicated and worship is offered. Um, and I think that it's important to recognize that as opposed to saying that worship is music, um, saying that music is a way that we worship. Right. Um, and obviously in, you know, it looks different for different people, you know. Um, but and when I, what I mean by that is different churches have different sort of standard ways of worshiping. Maybe uh, maybe your denomination has a certain hymnal that it produced or endorses and, and uses. Um, maybe you don't sing hymns at all and you sing um, contemporary Christian worship music with a full, you know, band with electric instruments. Um, maybe you don't use any instruments. Maybe you sing traditional, you know, uh, hymns a cappella or maybe like in a in Orthodox liturgies that I've attended in the past, maybe you aren't really singing like songs per se, as much as all woven throughout the service is, uh, sung chants and, and, uh, you know, singing the, the readings and singing the different parts of the liturgy and the prayers as, as a, as, as the, uh, you know, as the service unfolds. Um, I, I don't know that we can really, well, I mean, I, I would say there, there's no one way that music has been or is used in the church, um, but it's very clear that music 
is something that's used in the church for worship purposes. Right. Um, and so that kind of raises the question, should there be, or, you know, should there be one way or what is the best way um, that music is used? You know, I think one of the questions that comes up a lot is style. And I know that, um, you know, we've, we, and when we were talking about doing this episode, like we didn't want to do an episode on music style or worship music style, but I do think that part of this conversation definitely is thinking about that. So what do you think, here, I'll ask you this. What, what's the what's the platonic form? What's the perfect church service music style? Put you on the spot. Yeah, uh, I think before before I get there, I just I wanted to add too um, in talking about worship, uh, the reality that we as humans are unceasing worshipers. It's not as though just on Sunday mornings when we enter into the church building we suddenly become a worshiper, um, but all peoples of all times in all places are worshipers. And um, oftentimes that worship, the thing that we worship is not God. Um, it might be relationships. It might be money. Um, it might be, you know, a job. Um, but there are idols that we have in our life that um, take the place of God. And so when we ascribe worth, when we ascribe value, when we ascribe um, honor and glory to things, like that's sort of giving our allegiance, our devotion, our worship to that thing. Um and I think it's sort of, it reminds me of a book I read at college that was uh, by um, G.K. Beale, I believe, and it was called We Become What We Worship. And so his whole point is that like, just like the, just like the, the, the idols of the Old Testament, so like these, you know, carved images of wood or of stone, like they might look like they have eyes, they might look like they have ears, but in reality... They don't hear, they don't see, they don't smell, they don't do anything. They're, they don't do, they, don't, they can't move. Um, and much in the same way, the people that worship them become like that. They become blind to reality. They can't hear um, gospel truth. And so when we're, when we're thinking about this, this topic of, of worship, when we think about style of, of musical worship, um, we're sort of also keeping that in mind, um, you know, music as a whole, whether it's on a Sunday morning being sung to God or whatever you're hearing on the radio, even what you're hearing in some way is a, an act of, of worship. Um, and so when we talk about style, I know that there are a thousand different, you know, ideas about, about how we should do that. I think for, for the answer to your question, I think what you first need to know is your context. Where do you, where is your church? Um, what is the demographic of your church? Uh, what generation is it? Like, are you, uh, is it the 21st century? Is it the 18th century? Um, because, because the Bible doesn't spell out, like this is exactly how you have to conduct your service on a Sunday morning. Um, I think there's a little bit of freedom in being able to choose what, songs you sing, what instruments you use, the style, um, if it's more contemporary, if it's a little bit more traditional, if you have an organ, if you have a piano, if you have a keyboard. Um, and so I think that's sort of like my short answer is that there there's a little bit of interpretation based on where you are, based on context. Mm. You know, I when I when I worked at Park Community Church in Chicago, for example, they were a very um, contemporary, very um, modern church. 
And so they had a musical style that reflected that. Um, whereas when I was a youth pastor, they were a much more blended congregation. There were a lot of um, older, more elderly people, and then some younger people with families. And um, to sort of blend between traditional and contemporary, the music reflected that. There was a little bit of, there were hymns, there were contemporary songs, there were, um, you know, both old and new represented. So I think, yeah, knowing your context is really important. Like if you're an, a, if you're a church that's a small Baptist church up in the mountains and your congregation is like in their 50s and 60s, to only be doing contemporary Christian worship that they're probably not listening to, I think would, to, would be to do a disservice to them. Um, because not only do they probably not know those songs, um, but the emotions, the feelings, the... Um, the thoughts that come with them are almost irrelevant and it takes away because when we're singing the songs, when we're playing the instruments, when we're worshiping with our voices, um, we're doing something. We're not passive. We're active, whether it's, um, you know, I know we're actually moving our hands or moving our mouths, but um, I'm reminded of Psalm 96, for example, and I think I'll just read a part of it. You know, it says, starting in verse one, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to his name. Bring an offering, come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And it goes on from there. But that idea, first of all, like it's interesting, sing to the Lord a new song, Mm. um, I think is an idea that maybe we'll get into a little bit later. And it's not saying that, it's not like David's writing, sing to it, like every day you have to make a new song for the Lord. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But this idea that when we come into a church service or if we're driving in the car or if we're, you know, getting ready in the morning, we have music playing. Um, what is it that we're singing about? What is the content of the song? Mm. Um, and I think that's something that's more, more than style. I think content is what is really important. So, and I think that's maybe a good transition. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of that, I want to ask you, you know, to summarize a little bit, the style is, something that shouldn't be our number one focus. The question of what music do we use in church is not a question of style, um, or at least, you know, not primarily, right? Based on what you're saying. So my question to you then would be, is the style, like you you mentioned choosing a style sort of based on context, an awareness of who your people are. Um, Is there another sense in which, the style of music that we're using actually is uh, important, actually does have an impact on the content. Is, is there a sense in which maybe some styles are actually better or worse for use in church music, would you say? Personally, I would say... I'm, I'm inclined to say no. Um, okay. And I'm inclined to say that because um, 
sort of like I mentioned when, when pertaining to context. style changes and it adapts and evolves. I mean, you know, 2000 years ago, there was no such thing as an electric guitar. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of playing with electric guitar would have been completely foreign to somebody, you know, living in the, the first century church. Right. Um, but today with, with the instruments that we have, I know a lot of times, like there are, there are traditions that will look at electric guitar, look at, you know, drums and a bass and be like, that's demonic. Like that music is, you know, that's that's rock and roll. Like I mentioned that one time a couple of weeks ago about um, at that church where they played um, a song and on the comment card right. said that sounded like ACDC. Like I'm never coming back. This is bad for me and my family. Um, like there are people that have that sort of mindset that when we use these instruments, um, especially if they're played in a certain way, um, it is inappropriate. And I think, I guess my answer is kind of like a yes and no. Because if your style is distracting from the per- the point and the purpose that singing songs is trying to accomplish, then I would say then yes, that's wrong and inappropriate. Like even if you're in a contemporary church and the way that you're playing is actually sounding like ACDC <laughs> and it's you know distracting people from actually worshiping and singing praise to God, then maybe it's time to reconsider what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think like at a fundamental level having electric instruments is a wrong thing Mm. and on the the other side i don't think having an organ and a singer and a choir or whatever in a more traditional sense um i don't think that that is wrong i think to be it's being again aware of your context being aware of um how what you're doing is being perceived like those are things that matter um a lot more than just this is the instrument that i'm using Mm -hmm. and the certain style whether contemporary or traditional sure yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense and and that ties back into the focus being on the content you know when we say content we mean like the lyrics we're not necessarily talking about like the notes (laughs) um but so transitioning to that you know more central part of this conversation um it's kind of, I guess it's kind of broad to say, oh, you need to, you need to be concerned with the, the content of the lyrics. Like on the one hand, like, well, duh. And on the other hand, what do we really mean by that? What do we mean? Or, or I guess, you know, what do you mean when you say like, you know, if you're choosing worship songs for your worship service, you need to be looking at the content of songs. Can you give some like thoughts and, and sort of, you know, things to think about more specifically on that, on that front? Yeah, and I think it's helpful to quote one of your boys here. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure it's Luther, who <laughs> um, who sort of had this thought that when you wake up in the morning, what you think about first that is your God, or um, what cap what captivates your mind and your thoughts throughout the day as mm-hmm. you're going about your business, like there is your God. Um, and so it's, it's sort of like a, a cheeky way to say, like the thing that occupies your thoughts, the thing that occupies your day um, is can often reveal what the idols of our heart really are. Mm. You know, so if what you're constantly thinking about is money, how am I going to get money? How mm. can I get more money? I need money. Um, that might be because idol or that money is an idol in your life at that moment. Um, and so, you know, there are musicians who, I mean, I know it's sort of like cliche to t- sort of talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll when we're talking about, you know, rock and roll music. Um, but that stereotype exists because a lot of rock and roll is about 
sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, and for them, that is their God. That is the content that they want to sing about. That is the thing that they love. That is the thing that they want to spend their time doing. Um, you know, getting drunk, getting wasted, sleeping around, whatever it is. Like there are songs that that's what the content is. And so that's obviously like a secular, um, you know, worldly perspective. So when we, when we think about the content of our worship to God, to Yahweh, um, the reason that content is important is because, well, first of all, we want to be theologically precise. We want to be accurate. We do not just want to say um, things flippantly. We want to be careful. And that's something that I think, um, you know, when we're talking about music, when we're talking about lyrics, both in a traditional sense, so if we're talking about older hymns and contemporary, on both sides of the spectrum, we can have really good theological content and really bad theological content. Just because it was written in the 1700s doesn't mean it has good content automatically. And on the other side, just because it was written in 2018 doesn't mean that it's just going to be bad content-wise, theologically. Um, because there are people then and now who are both very gifted, whom God has um, blessed with the ability not just instrumentally, but in writing good, um, biblical, faithful content that both builds and edifies the church. And on the, at the same time, there are other people who have, you know, wanted to create music, but maybe weren't as gifted in creating and crafting songs that were theologically accurate. Um, and, I, you know, maybe maybe this is a helpful time to bring up a song like Reckless Love. I know that we've sort of alluded to it in the past, um, sort of in passing about um, in our Unity episode where we mentioned, like, you know, if, if your church sings Reckless Love, um, that's not a reason to break fellowship. And I was speaking sort of like, if, you're, if your church sang that song one time, like, don't just leave. However, uh, this sort of brings in a conversation of, should we sing the songs of a church that is often viewed as being pretty heretical? Mm. So Bethel Church out in Redding, California, um, I would classify as like a cult or as not a real church. Like if you really look at their wow. pastor... Right. If you look at their theology, um, they literally have a school called Beth, uh, Bethel Supernatural School of Ministry. Um, and if you look up YouTube videos, they have they had this thing called like the honey barrel. You like put your head inside of this barrel and like twirl around and you suddenly get like slain in the spirit. And you're like wailing on the floor and, and speaking in tongues and like just all this really bizarre stuff. Um and so the more that you look into it, and there's, I mean, there are people who have like defected from Bethel, so to speak, who, whether it's from the church or from the school that have talked about some of the things that go on behind closed doors. And it's like, it's wild. And so that's why I say it's, it's more cultish than an actual church. And at the same time, if you look at CCLI, if you look at the, you know, contemporary um, Christian charts for the music that's popular, a large percentage of the music is coming from Bethel. Like, so the guy who sings Reckless Love is associated with Bethel, um, Corey Asbury, um, or if you want to talk about Elevation Church, you know, so Stephen Furtick, his church makes a lot of um, contemporary music, or Hillsong, or any of the really big music that we sing, should we be singing their songs? One, if, I mean, even if they are somewhat theologically accurate and precise, should we still sing their songs? Because in singing them, we're giving them royalties. So we're, we're continuing to promote, we're continuing to 
at least by association, endorse what they're doing and allowing them to continue. And so maybe that's a question that you want to address, you know, um, beyond because it's related to content. Right. And we're talking about the content. This is, again, an issue of content and context. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. It's a really interesting question. And I think, you know, being in our commercialized, consumeristic, you know, culture, like the way that CCLI works means, you know, we're essentially contributing financially to um, the organizations or groups who publish you know the worship it, it's it's really weird when you think about it you know it's like, very weird um and and it's it you know it complicates things further because on the one hand like i'm going to take reckless love as as an example not because i have any specific bone to pick with anybody who contributed to creating it anybody who sings it anybody who likes it and i'm not even trying to pick on bethel as a as a church or as an organization either right now but just as an example, it's a popular song, you know, maybe not as much nowadays, but I know like towards the end of our um, time at school, it was, it was huge. It was a weekly <laughs> experience at chapel, probably at least. Uh, but, um, but yeah, like there's a lot to like about the lyrics of Reckless Love. It, it, you know, I'm not going to read through or sing through the whole song. Like if, if you've never heard the song, you can look up the lyrics, you can give it, give the song a listen. Um, the, Basically, it's a song about how God's love is so powerful and overcomes all the obstacles of sin and 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 um, of our own, you know, ignorance of Him or or whatever. And He loves us so much that He will overpower every obstacle that comes in His way to to you know to reach us with His love. That it's kind of the, I, I think a fair way of saying that's it. kind of the gist of the song, and it's like praising God for His his love. Um, and overall, you know, it's, it's a fine song. It's got a nice tune. I, I kind of like the vibe of the song and most of the lyrics are, are, I probably wouldn't even bat an eye if it wasn't for the, the word reckless in the chorus where it says, Oh, the overwhelming never ending, <laughs> um, reckless love of God. And that's kind of the, the hinge of, of the, you know, if we want to say the controversy over the song is that, do we want to describe God's love as reckless? That you know, if you if you think about what the word reckless means, just in the dictionary, you know, that kind of implies a level of randomness, or it's not careful, or it's unaware. Doesn't care about consequences. Yeah, it 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 it's not necessarily a word that some would feel comfortable ascribing to, or, or using to describe the love of the all-knowing, all-powerful, sovereign God, you know, whatever you, you know, want to use to describe his love, I, I you know, it's pretty clear. It's not accidental. It's not uh, rash or, you know, um, destructive, you know, like a bull in a China, a bull in a China shop is reckless. Um, that's kind of, I guess, a more dramatic, you know, example of like the bad connotation of of reckless but that's sort of the issue um so on the one hand if we have this song we would maybe want to evaluate is this you know is this worth singing does the good outweigh the bad is the bad like dead wrong is the bad heresy is the bad teaching some kind of false doctrine in this case i don't think it is i think it's an 
it's a not it's like a not so careful word choice that can have some not so great and probably unintended consequences on how we talk about God's love. So I think it's 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 a it's interesting to me. It's it's big enough that I wouldn't necessarily choose this song um, to sing if I was in charge of like making the set for a Sunday morning service. Um, but I'm also not going to like really complain if my church chooses to sing it, if that makes sense. Um, and part of that also comes from the fact that the broader context of the teaching ministry of my church is one in which I'm confident in what my church teaches and believes about God's love. So there's sort of this broader context that the use of that song is being couched in. It's not just in a vacuum, you know, oh, you sing this song, that means you believe this or this or this. Um, What's interesting when we kind of take the, the conversation a step further and recognize, okay, this song is written by someone who's associated with this church over here, in this case, Bethel. Um, in the in the best, most charitable way, you know, and Bethel's a, as a church and as a school is not, you know, I confess I'm not super familiar with the ins and outs. You know, I've heard some, I've, I've heard people, you know, talk about, talk about it as a cult or talk about it as totally wacky or heretical. Um, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying I'm not like personally read up well enough to like be confident making a strong statement. But what I am pretty confident is that it is a church that seems based on, you know, the little bit that I know about its, you know, teaching and philosophy, it, it seems to come out of, um, not just, not just, uh, like the charismatic movement, but, but Pentecostalism, that specific historical stream of theology and, 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 and uh, denominations that that follow it or come out of it, um, which, you know, I've I've heard it, um, I've heard it said that, and I think this is historically a very sound judgment that, um, you know, as of you know, in the after the last hundred years, there there are now four streams, there are four branches of Christianity, um, Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant, and Pentecostal, because. Um, Pentecostalism is so theologically and historically unique. Um, it's it's in a, in a different way than just you know Presbyterians and Baptists. They would both fall under Protestants because historically and theologically they have a very common root in, in their origin points. Um, Pentecostalism is significantly different, um, not just in the doctrines, but where those doctrines come from. And also mm-hmm. one of and when we're talking about Pentecostalism, you know, capital P a movement, we're in, uh, a theological tradition, we're, and not just talking about the charismatic revival of the later 20th century that touched all denominations and branches, you know, Roman Catholic, Baptist, everything in between. Um, you know, they're, if, you know, we're talking about things like the Azusa Street Revival um, in the early 1900s, that kind of thing. Um, there's a, my understanding, again, I'm not super well read on Pentecostalism, but more so than I am on Bethel. <laughs> there's there's an under a self conscious understanding that the Spirit did something new at that time to fulfill um, his work, I guess, to fulfill the church, to 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 fulfill you know um, 
biblical or not biblical, but salvation history, which is very different than just saying, I think we should speak in tongues, you know, as a sign that there's that's So that's kind of a little bit of background. The reason I felt at all like diving into that even, you know, seemingly irrelevant point is if you're not a Pentecostal church, if you're singing a song from a from a Pentecostal musician or a Pentecostal church, um, it, I, I think it's just it might be something worth being aware of because it's like, well, you know, I don't know that I would agree with the theology behind it. So, and that's not making a judgment on Pentecostal theology or Baptist theology, it, but the point is, you're going to come in, come your content theologically is going to be, you know, diverge from a church that's in a completely different tradition, um, and that I think is is very important. Um, and then obviously, if if you're talking about more specifics, like oh. Bethel does this, this, and this, which I'm supremely uncomfortable with, and to me that feels like a cult, then that's a whole other like sort of ethical reason that you might not want to associate or support um, them even indirectly by choosing a song. Um, to loop it back to the content of Restless, Reckless Love as a, spe- as a specific song, I'm not convinced that there's anything theologically in that song, even considering the, you know, not super great word choice of reckless and considering the association with um, Bethel and or Pentecostal theology more broadly. Um, I'm not, you know, content wise, I'm just not convinced there's anything that I really disagree with besides literally one word reckless, which isn't that maybe that just gets into like the idea of, is that one word enough of a reason to not sing it? Because that, that's a question exactly. that has been asked. Yeah, and I think that that's an important question, whether that whether we're talking about this song or whether we're talking about another song or this singer or a different singer, you know, like that, that's a, that is an important question. I don't have an answer to it. And, and really, right. it, it's, we're, not, we're not trying we're not, to I don't, We're not trying to bind your love. conscience on it either. I, yeah. think, like to, like, I don't think it's right to say that if you sing this song, you're bad you're going to hell right. you're wrong yeah i think you need to be very careful and these things more more than anything i think what we're trying to say here is that you need to be thinking about these things exactly. it's not arbitrary we shouldn't be flippant we're not just opening up a hymn book Oop, i'm going to sing this one today and right. this one and this one it's we need to be um conscious intentional, intentional and conscious about the things that we're doing and i think you know we sort of had a, a question of what makes a song's theology good or bad Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's a very broad question, right? Um, because, for example, does the one word "reckless" make that song's theology bad? Does that sort of taint the rest of a song, which might be um, generally good? And I think it's it's helpful to explain. Maybe we should have even said this in the beginning that historically, songs have been sung, especially in church history, uh, as a way to teach biblical truths, like especially in an era when people were not educated, when people were not um, literate, so they could not read, or they could not write. Um, how are you going to teach people in a very memorable way? I mean, obviously you can give up, uh, get up and give a sermon, you can give a message, you can give a lesson of some kind, and that's obviously one way in which we teach. Um, but how many of you have an entire sermon memorized versus an entire album? 
because I can guarantee most of us have several dozen <laughs> albums and songs memorized by heart. You don't even have to have it playing in the background. You can recite it. But how many of you can recite a sermon from your pastor verbatim? Um, and so there, there's something to be said about having good theology in music because it is instructive. It does teach. It informs how we worship, not just in singing and playing instruments, but how we live in this world. How we, you know, we, our whole thing about doxology is we're not just wanting to be like mental um, in our knowledge. Like we don't want, want to just have mental knowledge, mental um, ideas, but we want to have it affect our hearts. We want to go out into the world um, and be changed and transformed and live a certain way. And sometimes the music that we sing informs that. It teaches us and it, and it gets lodged in our mind. You know, when I'm singing a song like, um, you know, In Christ Alone or something, that's a song that... Um, I think about often like the the words of a song like that, which is contemporary, which I always forget. It was written in like '01. Yeah, <laughs> it almost seems like an older hymn. But when you hear a song like "In Christ Alone," and like the theology of a song like that is is powerful, and it's something you think about, like "In Christ Alone, my hope is found." Like, yeah, that's something that is very profound, and something that you know there is no hope outside of Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and so that's why that's kind of why we're saying that good theology is important because it's not arbitrary. We're not just singing songs for the sake of we're supposed to sing songs during this time slot, um, but it's instructive. It's um, worshipful. Worshipful. Yeah, it, it allows us to um, learn about the character, the nature, the realities of our triune God. Um, and respond and back. So, and respond, right. So we want accuracy. We want clarity. We want to be precise. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how you want to transition yeah, from there. Yeah, no, have... I think, I think that like what we're really trying to say isn't you should sing these kinds of songs. You should sing this song. You shouldn't sing those kinds of songs or those songs from those artists. What we're saying is as, as churches, as clergy, as worship leaders, it's really, really important to be intentional and conscious with the musical worship aspect of our services so what we're saying is not you shouldn't sing bethel songs because reckless love is a bad song and bethel is an organization that does things that we don't agree with what we're saying is you need to think through when when you pull up CCLI, when you're making your set list, you pull out the binder of songs you've done in the past that your worship team knows, and you flip open to Reckless Love, it ought to be in that binder intentionally. It ought to be, and all this, all the other songs in that binder. It You shouldn't be, like, I think you use the word flippant, and I think that's a really, you know, we want to be juxtapos- <laughs> juxtaposing <laughs> um, f- being flippant and careless with our music choices to being aware, intentional, um, and purposeful with our music choices. Style, content, uh, length, topical relevance. You know, don't sing about the birth of Christ on Good Friday. Don't, you know, sing about... uh, I can't sing Noel on Good Friday. Well, you can, but I'm saying don't. (laughs) Um, And... And be intentional and purposeful in all of those ways. And that includes thinking through when you're talking about um, songs written by a certain uh, group or you're talking about um, 
reading through the lyrics of a song that you've never heard before, judge and discern carefully um, because of the role that music plays in our worship services. We want to have music. Judge if it's appropriate to have this instrument on this day or to sing that song, um, you know, during this sermon series or whatever. And everyone's going to be different. You're going to come to different conclusions. Um, if, if you uh, are Pentecostal in your theology, then your judgment of what's good and accurate and faithful is going to be slightly different than if you're Eastern Orthodox in your theology. And that's not what we're seeking to, you know, address or answer today. But what, what I would want to exhort our listeners, especially if they are, you know, playing a role in deciding what music is chosen, is to be intentional, purposeful, and faithful in the music choices you make. Um, like I said, both for style and content, um, because it does play an instructional and a responsive role beyond just filling time or being a nice background to the offering plate being passed around or whatever. Um, right. it, it, and, and that I think is sort of what I would say would be like the main point that I think we wanted to communicate is just like, it's not something that always gets talked about explicitly, you know, music church music and and what's good and what's bad in church music but it's something that ought to be very purposeful um and intentional for all the reasons that we've outlined so i think that you know that would be if 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 i needed to like summarize this episode it would just be be intentional in evaluating and discerning what is um a good use of of time and resources to um, present and lead a congregation with um, a specific song for the purpose of worshiping God. Um, right. Yeah. And I think it's it's helpful to know, again, when we're, when we're speaking of context, that a lot of times those big churches, I mean, there, there probably are some that write them for the money, like for the royalties that can come with it which is a little unfortunate, but there are other churches that are writing songs for their context. They are writing those church, those songs for their church. Mm. And because they become so good and so popular, um, they sort of go out into the world. And I think that's sort of how we get even the historic um, hymns that we have. Like they were originally written in a certain context for a certain people. And I think that there's something to be said about uh, the pastor of a church being a worship pastor as in a wholesale sense, not just, uh, I'm not saying that the person who preaches has to be the person that leads the band on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm saying that the, the pastor should be organizing the entire liturgy. They should be thinking about the progression from start to finish of what it looks like to offer praise, adoration, worship in its various forms to God on a Sunday morning. And so maybe I, I personally, I think we need more pastors, um, more pastors who are theologians who are also song and hymn writers who will um, be able to write songs for their context to know like there are people who like maybe this particular body is especially you know overcome with sickness and disease so in a in the context of sickness and disease is it always appropriate to be singing upbeat uplifting songs all the time Mm. I, i mean i think there is something to be said about like having songs of lament having songs of reassurance of the future hope that we have which in themselves can be hopeful and joyful songs um but you know to sing i got the joy 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 down in my heart isn't always going to uh, fill the soul 
um if ever <laughs> right but like you know oh, yeah. like a song like he will hold me fast you know in the midst of the storms of life mm. to be able to sing a song like christ is going to hold me fast yeah. no matter what comes my way like that's something that i think is powerful so again remembering context um you know getting really narrowly focused you know remember the context of a particular morning so what is the liturgy of your day what is your you know the main topic of your sermon what is the main um point that you're trying to communicate to your people maybe sing some songs that pertain to that that doesn't mean that you have to have all four or five songs have the word substitutionary atonement or whatever (laughs) in them Um, but be thinking about songs that one pertain to your context that morning but also to the context of your people um, because your people um, sometimes need songs, and they're they're sort of like food for the soul. Um, sometimes it seems like to be able to sing, because music is able to sometimes verbalize feelings that we ourselves are not able to verbalize or communicate. It gives an expression, it gives an emotion to our circumstances, to our thoughts, to our days that like we otherwise can't understand or articulate. So there's something like to be said about music. Mm -hmm. And I know like something that we haven't even really mentioned and we're not going to get into other than just briefly mentioning it here. Um, There are some people I know in more um, classical reformed circles, like some more Presbyterian who are, um, you know, all about the regulative principle, uh, sort of what what scripture regulates is what we're going to be doing in our Sunday morning gatherings. And there are some that think that we should have exclusive psalmody Um, you know, so we're only going to sing the Psalms, um, you know, arranged in a modern way, maybe, but we're going to only sing the Psalms and we're never going to sing hymns or, um, you know, contemporary Christian music. We're only going to sing the Psalms, which I think is, is a noble thing and has some good, um, some good to it. But I also think you miss quite a bit, um, because it's not, that's not to take away from the importance of the Psalms. It's not to take away from the, the beauty of what was written in them and the fact that the Spirit inspired their writing. Um, but I think that there's also something to be said for, um, you know, sing to the Lord a new song. There's something to be said for in your context, where you're at, with your struggles, with your congregation, to sort of branch out, but bearing in mind all that we've said um, said today and i don't know um if there's a whole lot you want to add one other thing that i we forgot to mention in the beginning is that this episode was sort of inspired by my dad actually um so my dad jeff um sort of reached out with some ideas and thoughts that do pertain very you know particularly to him in his context Mm -hmm. Um, but this is also just a, a more overarching thing that he thinks about that we've had conversations about so i want to give that shout out before i forget for sure um but yeah it's interesting because to sort of circle back to the very beginning you know we mentioned especially in the context and in light of unity amongst diversity maybe we just want to say is there a point in which we think it is right and appropriate to leave a church because of bad theology in music and if honestly if if there's bad theology in music i'm going to assume that there might be bad theology wholesale because good theology should be able to recognize bad theology um by and large and it's not to say like if your if your church happens to sing a song once that's like that was a little iffy but then you're like we you know we're not going to sing it again that's different than like this is like the the culture of our church so do you think there's something to be said about leaving because of bad theology in music specifically? Yeah, I mean, even as you were asking or starting to ask that question, I was I was going to say 
there's there's I would be willing to bet quite a bit that there's not a world in which there is a church with solid theology, solid practice. And I'm not saying everyone's perfect or doesn't make mistakes, but I'm just saying they're completely solid, on ba- on point, biblical, you know, grounded in in the faith, and they sing heretical songs regularly every Sunday. I don't think that exists. So I I think that the answer would sort of be yeah, but it's not because they sing songs with bad theology. It's because they have bad right. theology. You know, like right. It it's not something that you're going to write a note on the back of a connection card about it sounding like <laughs> ACDC and just bounce. It's like like you mentioned See, when yeah. you first brought up that story a couple weeks ago. Like this is when you have you have concerns. You go to the the leadership, um, and that whether you're talking about a specific you know program or you know event that you want to ask questions about or you're talking about hey you know i've noticed this trend in our songs that seems to suggest that you don't believe jesus is divine can i talk to you about that (laughs) oh yeah jesus he's not divine we're arians okay you know it's time to go love you pray for you i'm gonna go find a new church this is why it's because i'm orthodox you know like that silly example (laughs) i'm orthodox is is what i would say it, it would sort of be that that's that's the conversation I want to have. It's not like, uh, you know, they sang Reckless Love and we sing it, you know, once or twice a month. And Reckless Love is kind of a bad way to put it. I'm concerned about my church's theology. Well, okay, what about the preaching? What about everything else? And have you talked to them about it? Oh, they have bad theology? All right, now you need to pray through and discern how bad, like if, if you're talking about actually a bad theology in your church, it's going to be more widespread than just music selection right. is what I would say pretty confidently. Um, and that's a complex, you know, just the issue of when do you leave a church in general is, is just a complex, painful, um, you know, you got to be praying, you got to be discerning and trusting the spirit to, to guide you into, into what's right for, for you, for your family, for the community. Um, but I think that it, it, it's, a, it's never going to be one thing. You know, right. it's never just going to be music or, or just going to be, you know, uh, sermons or whatever. Because it, it, those things, like we said in the beginning, they're not these segmented times. You know, they, they all reflect uh, the wider, you know, coming together to worship and to teach and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think yeah. maybe just as a way to help close this out, mm-hmm. it's something that I think about often. And it's actually it's an Old Testament passage. Um, but I think it, it has quite a bit to say. Um, I'm reminded of Leviticus 10. Who, whoever mentions Leviticus, I don't know, but I'm going to mention it right here. Um, Leviticus 10 is about the sons of Aaron. Um, so Nadab and Abihu, I'm guessing. Um, they were some of the priests before Yahweh, and they took before him incense and offered unauthorized, some translations say strange, fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out before the Lord and it consumed them and they died. Um, and so this is a passage, I know it's, again, it's Old Testament, Old Covenant, um, worship of Yahweh. Um, but this idea that Yahweh had regulated the way in which he ought to have been worshipped and these people deviated from the way that, that, that he had regulated and they were consumed because of this strange fire that they offered. And so by way of application, if we're going to talk about this in a 21st century context, um, Personally, I, th- I still think it is important to 
be cognizant of what scripture does teach concerning how we ought to worship. There are certain things that says that it says we should do. The, the, there are certain uh, roles and responsibilities that uh, elders and pastors and leadership have. Um, there are certain roles and responsibilities that a congregation has. There's um, ways in which we should and should not worship. And when it comes down to it, in a way, bad theology, incorrect theology is a strange fire because we are misrepresenting, we are not properly extolling, singing praises, and worshiping the God um, who is worthy of all our praise and even more beyond. Mm. Um, and so as we think about sort of like strange fire, if you want to, I mean, I know it's a weird way to like sort of think about this topic, but um, to, to be very intentional, to be thoughtful, to be careful, to, be, um, to give the benefit of the doubt, um, these are all things to consider when we're having this conversation about music um, as it pertains to worship on a Sunday morning, but, you know, more broadly, too. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of helpful. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we worship in spirit and truth. <laughs> so it doesn't everything we said doesn't matter because you just need to be in spirit and truth. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Hopefully that all makes sense. I, I think this was a good conversation and um, it's definitely something that is really important that doesn't always get as much attention, at least in like my own circle and my own thought life um, and, and reading choices um, as some other topics. But it's we're talking about worship, you know, we're talking about we're talking about we're talking about how are we coming together to to worship God. So it is it's it's. And it's, yeah, it's, so it's bigger important. than just music. We're not yeah. just talking about the way notes are arranged right. or the way that we arrange songs. We're talking about the God of the universe who, like I said, is worthy of all of our praise. And don't we want to do that to the best of our ability with, you know, our whole being? Right. Yeah. So um, we've had, a, you know, some different uh, sort of closing prayers slash readings, but we're going to get back uh, into the Book of Common Prayer today. I'm going to be praying a section from the Midday Prayer uh uh, service. So, blessed Savior, at this hour you hung upon the cross, stretching out your loving arms. Grant that all the peoples of the earth may look to you and be saved, for your tender's mercy's sake. Almighty Savior, who at midday called your servant, St. Paul, to be an apostle to the Gentiles, we pray you to illumine the world with the radiance of your glory, that all nations may come and worship you, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Um, so that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for listening to this uh, musical episode of the Doxology Podcast. <laughs> if you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Send us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback, your love, your hate, your... Uh, questions your episode ideas uh your songs that you think are questionable theologically yeah your favorite and your least favorite worship songs we'd love to you know <laughs> listen to them and torture ourselves or celebrate with you um Ooh, before yeah. you do finish do you have one song or album or band that maybe people would like to listen to that you think represent good theological music that can be used in worship wow um the and maybe they are well known yeah to to give your your uh, opinion yeah i think um that a couple songs that stick out to me is how deep the father's love how deep 
well, I don't know the title. How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I think that's what it's called. Um, in Christ Alone and um, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Okay. Um, which are kind of like, they're all sort of, they have they share that similar like, they're, maybe Christ the Solid Rock is a hymn, but like the others are like, they kind of feel like hymns, but they're not him you know right. like they, they kind of but those are probably some of my favorite songs um if you like uh ska and you like the oc supertones they have an album called um dang it i can't remember the name of it but they do like kind of like stripped down like acoustic versions of a lot of like early 2000s like worship songs like okay how deep, they have how deep the father's love they have you know like blessed assurance they have um songs like that and it's 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 really nice. It's, I forget the name of it though, so I probably shouldn't have brought it up. But, um, but yeah, I would say like those are probably some of my favorite um, worship songs that I really enjoy and find appropriate in worship. Oh, and also "Come Thou Fount" is another one. Of okay, my that's a good one. Yeah, uh, I think from from my perspective, uh, so Page CXVI. That's again Page CXVI is a really good one. They have a, they, they basically reimagine hymns. So they have um, several albums, several EPs that have classics that have modern, you know, Come Thou Fount, um, uh, In Christ Alone, uh, Rock of Ages, um, you know, stuff like that. So that's really good if you want like the hymns. Um, a, a more modern, um, like where they write their own songs uh, is a band called City of Light. Mm. They are from Australia and they have such good theologically rich music it is such a blessing to my soul mm. every time i listen to them especially if you listen to christ is mine forevermore we sing uh, that at church good and gracious king um yet not i but through christ in me those are all super good songs yeah definitely yeah so check those out um and let us know your own and again remember this episode uh was thanks to jeff nelson um boom thank you for Hi, Dad. listening thank you for <laughs> sharing and so please uh we want to hear your episode ideas uh that we can talk about what you guys want to listen to so um thanks again for listening hope you enjoyed hope that this really sparks a conversation um and some thought on i know it, it has for me just on things that might not otherwise get talked about so um yeah thanks again and we'll see you soon Bye.